0: Today we'll be talking with Jennifer Ferguson about her coaching and collaborating with general education teachers, helping them to understand the role of a general education teacher in providing supports and accommodations for exceptional learners. So, great to have you on today, Jennifer. Thank you, Sarah, glad to be here. Um, I just wanted to start by asking you, what is your, how did you get into this specific specialization in your grad studies?
1: So, interestingly enough, I didn't get into this with my grad studies secondary. I have, it's actually backwards from that. So, over the last two years as a teacher in my building, actually as a direct result of Educators Cooperative, I started to develop myself as a teacher leader in my building because I felt like developing my own leadership was something I wanted to pursue moving forward with my education goals. I joined Educators Cooperative two years ago because at that time I was not in a mental or financial position to be ready to go to graduate school, but I really was needing and craving collaboration with teachers who believed in working with each other for growth and I came across Educators Cooperative as a result of being a team ambassador the first year that team ambassadors existed in Metro. So through that whole process of being a team ambassador and coaching teachers in my building on understanding the evaluation process, understanding the team rubric. One of the components of the team evaluation rubric in the state of Tennessee is differentiated learning in your classroom. Given that I'm the special education teacher, that's by nature what I do in my classroom. So that sort of naturally developed in the classroom over the last two years i've developed myself as a leader Um, i decided to apply this summer for graduate school and was accepted at austin p state university in masters in education educational leadership program and simultaneously and very coincidentally i hired a brand new paraprofessional this year in my building who's a recent graduate of austin p in may undergrad general education who is now working on his master's degree as a reading specialist and is acting as a special needs para pro for the very first time in his life. He walked into our doors on day one completely blind to what that role even meant. He and I started engaging some very necessary conversations from day one because I was having to train him as a general education teacher into what his role was going to be one day in a classroom on his own working with kids with disabilities. Because as he had said to me, I didn't know that children like this were in the regular classroom. And that's really gotten my brain moving even more in the last four months since starting graduate school. So as a part of my graduate school program for the next 18 months, I have to complete 300 field-based activities in a leadership role based on conversation with my current administration on where are the needs in our building so when i sat down and had that conversation with my administrator who's acting as my mentor and we discussed where my strengths were and where my weaknesses were what i need to pr- improve on what are the needs of our building as he sees them as our administrator and what does he want from me and where can i help he said that collectively in the building according to team evaluation scores accommodation and differentiation in the general education classrooms has always been an area of weakness and i said great that's what i love doing that's what i've been doing how can we make that sort of official so he said why don't you go back and think about it and then come back to me and let me know what you propose so i had already been working on this idea of me creating sort of an observation opportunity for me to go into my teacher's classrooms in this non-evaluative observation opportunity to see what they're doing or not doing based on what the IEP says they should be doing in supporting students in the classroom. So when I took that observation template to him, he said to me, how can we make this a multi-step process He said, how can we make this reflective in nature for the teachers, what can we do? And I said, well, what if I take this observation template that I've already created and basically turn this into a pre-assessment? Let's give it to the teachers first, ask them to fill this out, ask them to be reflective and provide additional information on where they felt their strengths and weaknesses were and what do they need or want my assistance on in the classroom? So, then I took, they handed those back into me and I offered that exact same process here to the cohort. Anybody in the cooperative that also wanted to participate in this project for me, it's a win-win. I'm building and strengthening my own skills as a coach, but I'm supporting general education teachers who need support in their classrooms in meeting these same needs for students with disabilities or even students who might struggle but who may or may not have a diagnosed eligibility and aren't getting the additional resources that they may be needing from a specialized general edu- uh, special education teacher So we created the pre-assessment I created a PowerPoint for training I am setting up observation times to meet with the teachers and then I will set up a follow-up with them for feedback. So we turned this into a whole four-step process that I will be doing now over the course of the entire school year. I'll be able to document it for my field-based activities. More than likely, I will use this as a key component to my graduate research and to my thesis. I really want to have a better understanding of what general education teachers are missing as a as a larger idea that's impacting their ability to provide supports to students with disabilities and learning differences in the classroom that they may not have ever gotten in a college environment. They may or may not be getting that organically in their building because they may or may not have special education teachers that have enough experience or knowledge to collaborate with or they may not be working with teachers who have a growth mindset. And so I'm really trying to help general education teachers fill that void in understanding what their role is and what they can be doing. Because I know specifically in Metro National Public Schools, we are heading to a predominant inclusive environment. It is your job as a general education teacher to provide these needs for teachers in the classroom or students in the classroom with or without a special education teacher being in there to support you directly. And unfortunately, through so many of the teachers I've met with, brand new college graduates or 25 years experienced teachers, they really still don't understand where their role is in this part of the inclusion process. They really still expect somebody else does that job. Somebody else takes care of those students. I only do for those students what I'm told I have to do. And moralistically and ethically, that bothers me because I'm the parent of two children with special needs who one graduated metro schools from his, on an IEP and now is off at college. And one is a junior in our zoned high school and is on a 504. So I look at it from three different lenses. I'm a special education teacher of 21 years. I'm the parent of children with special needs now for 19 years, and I've been a special needs family advocate for 15 plus years. And it's really become a huge passion of mine to help general education teachers feel more successful in their job of supporting students with disabilities because it makes me sad for my my counterparts when they feel like they're failing the children because they just don't have the skill set or the knowledge and as much as they want to help they truly just don't know what they're supposed to be doing and they're not always getting the collaboration they need or want in their building
0: yeah that resonates with me as a classroom teacher and as a third year gen ed teacher i came through an alternative certification program and we did mention these things and i have my mom is a special education teacher, so I've heard all of this verbiage. I've heard all of these um, acronyms, and I know that my scholars are receiving special ed services. But from my perspective, I definitely, that resonates with me, this idea of I need, I feel that it is a, a void where it would be helpful to have this empowerment of knowledge. If I know what I need to do, and I have the resource to even know who to ask then I know that I would be more successful and so as you're doing this project I know um, you're starting off at your school and you have a few cohort members but given the diverse nature of the participants in our in edco I'm wondering do you have a specific focus on certain classrooms certain grade levels or is it completely open to anyone who wants this support? It is open to any teacher that wants
1: the support. I have enough confidence in myself and my own skill set, and I have enough experience kindergarten through high school, um, working with students in all populations, um, city and urban, working with autism, dyslexia, ADHD, nonverbal learning disabilities, speech and language impairments, sensory processing. I feel confident enough in my own knowledge and skills from multiple directions that I can help coach, support, and mentor any teacher who's willing to learn. In my opinion, it has to do with one thing, growth mindset. If you are a teacher who has a growth mindset and you are willing to implement something new or different, even if it feels scary and unsure, I can coach you through the scary. I just need to know that you're willing to hear new ideas and implement something that you've never thought of before, something maybe you've never seen before, and something that you're like, wow, that, okay, that sounds cool, but I'm just not really sure how to do that. And I still do that myself as a teacher. So this year, and I'll give you an example, I have a person right now that I'm going to regularly to get my own coaching. This year by default in my building I have become what's called a low incidence teacher. Um, Some people don't really know what low incidence versus high incidence means in the special education world. Basically it refers to students who are considered high incidence are relatively your independent functioning students in the school system. They have dyslexia, learning disabilities, some speech and language impairments, high functioning autism. They are everyday students in a general education classroom who get these basic accommodation supports, They might be a year, year and a half, maybe two years below grade level on reading, mild behaviors, maybe some frustration or some avoidance, but things that your general ed teachers kind of feel comfortable managing. Your low incidence students are the opposite. These are the students that people or teachers go, wait, they're in the regular classroom? They're your students who are nonverbal autism, low functioning down syndrome, intellectual disabilities, severe emotional disturbance, behavioral needs, um, not potty trained, may or may not even be able to sit in a chair for longer than four minutes and do any written task. That's what we refer to as a low incidence population. It basically means they have a higher need. And so they oftentimes are seen in a self-contained or a low-incidence classroom all day where they may push into the general education population for lunch and recess and related arts classes. For the most part, they're in a self-contained special education classroom. By default this year, I've kind of become that teacher because the population in my building is changing. That's not my background for 21 years. Last year, I got my very first student with Down syndrome. Had never worked directly with a student with Down syndrome. Got my very first student last year with nonverbal autism, intellectual disability, not potty trained. That's new for me. That's scary for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So I have a support in my district. She happens to be my um, BCBA, which is a board-certified behavior analyst. She was a former special education teacher. Low incidence was her background. She's now the behavior support for me. But when she comes to meet with me every two weeks, We're working on specific behaviors of students she's supporting me with. But she's also coaching me on how to make changes and improvements and implementations in my classroom to meet the needs of these low incidence students because it's a new place for me to venture into. So for any teacher out there, if you are public, private, or charter, if you are kindergarten, or if you are high school, many of the suggestions I'm going to give are universal across the board on how to differentiate something because every single thing we do in special education is differentiated to student to student to student so I might give you a strategy and you love that strategy but you're gonna tweak that strategy for how it's gonna work for ninth grader female versus how it works for 11th grade male It might work perfectly for three males in second grade, but then when you have to use that same strategy for a female in fourth grade, you need to tweak that strategy yet again. So everything we do is 100% differentiated, and so you always have to be a risk taker in special ed. You always have to have a toolbox that's growing. No matter what you put in that toolbox, you have to be willing, treat it like a Rubik's cube, twist it around, turn it back and forth, and figure out which pattern's gonna make just the right success mark for that student. The next student comes along, you're turning the Rubik's Cube all over again.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and I know I'm interested, I'm sure some of the listeners are interested in being involved in this. Um, My inclination is to have hesitation because I have a special ed department, right? and I don't wanna step on their toes. So I'm wondering what suggestions you would have as an elevator pitch, if you will, to tell my team, my leadership team, that this is something I think would be beneficial and how it's separate, but also supporting what's already going on.
1: So um, there are three teachers in the cohort that I'm already working with now in sort of my first little pocket. And I actually asked all three of them that exact question when we met two weeks ago to do our official in-person training session. And I said to them, how have you addressed this with your administration or with your team or with your special education teacher? One of those teachers I'm working with has a special education teacher that is inclusion support directly in the classroom. And she spoke with that person about working with, a member in their educators cooperative who is working to grow themselves as a coach and was looking for a teacher who has an inclusion environment that wanted to grow on their own. So she pitched this whole idea to her inclusion counterpart that it really had nothing to do with their role. It was a hundred percent on her wanting to grow and learn as her own right as a teacher and that there was in no way shape or form that I was gonna be coming into the classroom to step on the toes of their role as the special ed teacher, but only to help her grow as a teacher. And in that case, the teacher she supports with every day was actually more than happy to have me come in because that teacher is also a younger, newer special education teacher. And they were more than happy to work with me from a collaborative aspect as well. Um, Another one of the teachers said, Oh, I haven't even told my administration. They'll be fine with it. They don't mind. I'm uh, what's referred to as a model classroom in the building anyways. And there are people in and out of my room for observations all day long throughout the district and different departments. Um, The other teacher has not yet approached it with the inclusion teacher that supports them for fear of stepping on toes. And they were just going to kind of wait and just let it happen. So I feel like the easiest way for teachers in the cohort to address this is to really look at it from the purpose of what we do as a collaboration in the cohort. This has nothing to do with what is or is not happening in the school building with support it has to do with our decision as teachers to join educators cooperative for the purpose of collaboration and growth in our own craft and this is just one opportunity that our cohort is providing as an internal network and therefore I've decided to sign up to be a part of this process for my own professional growth and development I can't imagine that if any teacher goes to their principal and approaches it like that but there's an administrator who would say, Nope, I'm so sorry, you're not allowed to grow outside of our building, that's not acceptable. Because that's what we are doing as teachers, as leaders, we're all looking to grow ourselves in our craft. Whether you're a first year teacher or a 21st year teacher, I never stop growing and learning and improving.
0: Right, I definitely think that's a great angle to bring up. I know me personally. I've already brought things back and implemented them that I've learned or collaboration that I've had in EDCO and so my administration already knows that there's a level of success and credibility to what we're doing within this environment so I that advice is great Um, I guess when you talk about more practically what it looks like to coach what exactly are your strategies, or what is, what is an example of how you would coach someone as a general education teacher to implement the best practices in their class?
1: Sure, so ironically enough, every single thing I do is differentiated. <laughs> every teacher I work with is directly geared towards that. So in my conversation two weeks ago with the three Edco teachers I'm working with, The way I introduced our personal conversation before we got to the actual, like, training PowerPoint was, so tell me about what the students with disabilities look like in your room. Tell me what your concerns are on how you're meeting their needs. And I literally take the conversation from there. Everything I do is conversation-based. And it's very natural. It's very organic. I am very much... I guess for lack of a better word, I'm an improv teacher. Um, I'll be the first one to tell you lesson plans. I really don't know what those are. Lesson plans for me are called IEPs. I have goals written in a legal document, and that's what drives my instruction. That's what drives my teaching, my direction, my assessment
0: is an IEP goal. Those are my lesson plans. I love how you use IEPs to drive your instruction and your differentiation. Let's listen to a clip of you coaching Alicia to implement similar strategies.
1: So Alicia, since we met last Friday and we talked about being able to implement specific accommodations and Mm -hmm. differentiation in your math class, um, We had spoken about some specific students that you had concerns with regarding behaviors and how you would know if you're implementing the right accommodations for them. So over the last week, just talk to me about any um, observations you've made about those students in your classroom since we met, and if you've started to notice anything about the functions of their behavior. We had talked about that when we Mm -hmm. put an accommodation in place or Mm -hmm. differentiate something for a student with special needs that you oftentimes have to consider. What's the function of the behavior Mm -hmm. and why are they doing what they're doing so that what you do differently still helps them meet the function? So I just wanted you to think about some of those specific students we spoke about and if you have any more observations about them Um, over the last week.
2: um, I I haven't been focusing on behavior so much as I've been... Focusing on accessibility okay, and thinking of who I have and what they need and how to help them be successful. Um, what I want to work on is specifically in my inclusion class. Um, there, there is no pullout at my school, so I need to make sure that my lowest scoring kids um, are able to access what we're doing in class and in class I'm supposed to be teaching those standards at the sixth grade level and what there needs to be some major scaffolding and major support of those kids to even be able to access that so okay um, I need specific strategies for my lower level learners beyond the accommodations that they have like oral testing extra time correct don't really provide access to content
1: absolutely
2: and that's where my big question mark is in my head am I doing Gotcha. Enough, or am I doing the right things?
1: Okay. So when your students come in to start that class every day, do you do something with them called like a bell ringer, which I know a lot of the whole teachers class do. do for the whole class?
2: I, yeah, do now. I have okay. either a do now or a spiral review is what, how we start each.
1: Perfect. Day. That would be the quickest and easiest way for you to work on filling in the skills that are missing in those students that are going to apply. To what's coming up in the moment. So for example, I think we talked the other day that your students right now are already working on like three digit by four digit division.
2: Yeah. But you have decimal. students yeah.
1: who are completely missing division basically, who certainly can't do that without a calculator. So their bell ringer work really needs to be basic division facts practice.
2: So so that would mean giving different bell ringers. Absolutely work for
1: For those students. Different
2: kids, I have two different bell ringers.
1: Yep, so you would basically differentiate that bell ringer for those students. And that's something that's as easy as you to find either online or getting an old third and fourth grade math textbook to make some copies out of so that they're working as their bell ringer specifically on skills they're missing or don't have strong enough fluency or knowledge of but that you know that skill is the foundation to what you're working on Mm -hmm. in the current context of the grade level skill.
0: So now that we've heard how this plays out with another cohort member, how can we as additional cohort members support your work and be involved? So the easiest thing
1: to do is send me an email um, through the cohort and let me know, hey, Jennifer, um, I heard the podcast or I remember being at the coffee when you talked about your coaching project. I'd like to get in on that second semester. What can I do? And I'll send you the pre-assessment for you to do some reflective thought on where your strengths and weaknesses are. And we'll set up a time to meet in person to do sort of some official training and thought process and discussion. And then I'll come in to your classroom. We'll schedule a time. I'll do an observation of you in your classroom. And then we'll meet afterwards at a different date and time to do some feedback and conversation. And if you're still not 100% sure of maybe what that's gonna look like or is it really beneficial, then I would encourage anybody to reach out to Alicia from cohort two or reach out to Addison and Jenna from cohort three and ask them. They are the three members that I'm working with in this first round of coaching opportunity. We've already completed their pre-assessments We've already met in person for a two hour Panera night with the training and all four of us had some great conversation. And I've already scheduled their observations on Tuesday, December 11th. So I will take one professional development day on my own. My principal's already approved it. And it works out in the course of the day that I will go to each one of their classes during that one day do their observations using the feedback they gave me of their strengths and weaknesses, using an official rubric scoring observation form that I've created, and then when that's over, I will go back and type up and write out all my notes to give direct feedback, suggestions, thoughts, and ideas. I will also be looking for praises. I'm looking to compliment you on the things you're doing well, And that's not just for students with disabilities. That's for anything I see going on in your classroom as an educator. I think the number one thing I really want our members to understand is my role in coming in is 100% non-evaluative. I have nothing to do with your evaluation or team score. Everything I'm doing is intended to be a win-win situation. I want to help you improve yourself as a teacher in your craft, and I want to improve myself as a coach because that's what I'm looking at moving into in the next two years as I complete my graduate program, moving into a coaching and or administrative role. And I want that to be as a teacher to teacher leader, teacher to teacher coach, and build the inclusivity and the acceptance and the differentiation models in all of our schools.
0: I've gotten so much insight into what your project actually is and how it can fit into what we're already doing, collaborating as Edco members. I can't wait to see the results and to hear about the data that you come up with out of your research, and we'll see how this plays out in the classroom.
1: The Educators Cooperative Podcast is
2: made with love by and for teachers.